Welcome to 2LO Rebooted, where we tell the stories of design and engineering. I'm Bill Thompson. In this show, we're returning to the DEVELOP conference, which took place at the end of April. DEVELOP's a technology conference, which brings in a mix of internal and external speakers to the BBC's developer community. It runs over two days, one in London, one in Salford, and each day ends with a series of short lightning talks from BBC developers. We heard the first four in our last programme, and now we got the final four. To kick off, here's Augustine Kwanashi talking about how we scale. Hi, my name is Augustine Kwanashi. I'm a software engineer in the Connections team. Um, I'm going to talk about how we use materialized views to help improve resilience and performance of our content data, metadata publishing pipeline. So this is kind of like the way our current system works, a very simplistic view. You have editorial tools, writing data, content metadata to our system via some put points. We have this massive database at the middle that receives that data, and we have audience-facing distribution tools that query us for data, and then we then present that to them, hopefully quickly. The problem with that is, over the years, we get more and more clients from the distribution sites joining um, us, and we have each, each of those clients have more um, customers as well, so we have increasing demand on our database to process queries and get results out. On the right side, we have more data coming in from journalists and new content management systems putting data in, and our central database has to scale to support this in increase in demand. It's not doing that very well, so what, what tends to happen is you get 504s and timeouts from the read side, and you get longer wait times for the right side because our database just can't cope, so we have to queue stuff and then process that. So it takes much longer from when the journalist clicks save to when we can actually see some of that metadata showing up being able to be used by the um, audience-facing apps. So that's the problem, getting that central database to do all the, all the um, work it's required to do. The main problem for that is we're asking too much of that central database. It's being asked to process queries of various formats or various profiles. So we have some clients asking simple questions like, get me a single document given this ID. We have some clients saying, get me some more, a more complicated query that's probably based on some um, graph. So we have various query profiles from different clients, and we have this one central database that's meant to be optimized to serve these various types of requests, and it's not doing that very well. We use a semantic database that's mainly geared towards graph queries. So our solution to that is to prepare or create these views of the data before the clients want them. So on rights, we get the data and we prepare them in various formats. We have these views that are identical. So we have various copies of the same data in various views or databases that are more geared towards the format that our clients will want. And then on read, we can just serve those more, more quickly. So in theory, that's the plan. So we do more work on the right side. And then when the clients just want to read, we just serve them um, fairly quickly. So this is kind of how it works when we have a new write that comes in, we want to add a new document to add some new data, we put that in an event store on the top, and we have various views or distribution databases geared towards the various ways our clients query us. And these then feed off of that event store and populate themselves, hopefully very quickly. And then when our clients make a request, we have this component that will look at the request, determine which of the views is most optimal to serve and then route traffic to that. So if it's kind of like a graph query, we'll send it to a triple store. If it's just giving this document, we'll send it to a DynamoDB table, etc. And if in the future we have a new client that has a new profile that looks kind of weird that we don't support, we could spin up a new database of some 
sort that is optimized for that and just replay all the events and get it populated. So in terms of all our distribution um, clients, all the get requests coming in from our audience-facing apps, they'll get much better performance. Advantages, we think, definitely improves performance. It gets stuff much more faster because the central database doesn't have to make all those queries and process them. Um, improve resilience because if one of these um, views dies down or collapses for some reason, other clients can still get served traffic from the other ones. Next, Felix Mercer asked some hard questions about deep learning. My name's Felix, um, and I'm a data scientist at uh, the BBC's Data Lab. Um, so I'm going to start off this talk uh, with a simple, perhaps controversial statement, um, in that I think, at least initially, we should be ignoring deep learning. So for those of you who are not so up on your AI uh, developments recently, deep learning uh, could be considered as a class of models uh, that is generally speaking, the state of the art. Um, it's brought us many interesting things, such as the ability to play um, rock, paper, scissors in front of our computer, self-driving cars, this rather terrifying picture of a pizza, um, and perhaps even scarier, the ability, the ability to generate perhaps unlimited fake footage of the American president. So you might think I haven't really been giving deep learning much of a fair uh, shot here, because there are plenty of other things that deep learning, uh, use cases of deep learning, that are much more relevant to the BBC. So personalization and recommendation is one. Uh, content annotation and enrichment might be another. Um, and deep learning is also probably going to be very important for um, some of the, the implementation of some of the amazing work uh, in R&D on object-based media. So what is my problem with deep learning exactly? Um, and why do I think, at least initially, we should be ignoring it? Well, quite simply, I think that no single algorithm or class of algorithms is going to act as a silver bullet to solve all of the BBC's data problems. And furthermore, no single algorithm is, going, uh, is more important than the data that powers it. So in Data Lab, we've been putting all of our focus and energy into building an infrastructure, an architecture that connects all of the data across the BBC, um, and in doing so, facilitate the generation of more ambitious products, services, and experiences. Um, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about three of these projects right now. So you've heard of Facebook's Social Graph, perhaps uh, Google's Knowledge Graph. Now, as content is central to what we do at the BBC, we're building what we call the Content Graph. Um, so this is a single endpoint which will signpost, uh, will act as a signpost to all of the content that operates beneath the, the BBC umbrella. Um, it will initially be available to, internally to BBC developers, but where possible, we li we'd like to also expose it uh, where relevant to the public. Um, next, we also believe that there is limited value in putting all of the BBC's content in one place without, uh, in conjunction, developing a toolkit that allows you to extract value from this data. And this is what we're calling machine learning as a service. So this is a layer that we're building on top of the content graph 
um, that will make integrating machine learning into new and existing uh, BBC projects easier than ever before. Uh, and finally is what I'm calling a deep data culture. So I spoke earlier about how I think data is more important than algorithms. Despite what you might have heard from uh, about uh, the threatening impact of AI upon the job industry, great data people are still more important than data itself. And that's why in Data Lab we're putting a lot of effort into bringing in some great data people into the organization and also uh, spreading great data knowledge across the BBC. So from an internal perspective, uh, we have a machine learning tutorial that is available now in BBC Academy. Um, and from an uh, external perspective, we are partnering with top academic institutions up and down the country as part of DSRP um, to bring in data science PhDs to help us um, explore uh, and really find value in the data that we have. So I think it's clear that uh, data, machine learning, and eventually deep learning are going to be key for the BBC to remain relevant uh, over the next 10 years. And we think that connecting data and people across the organization are going to be a great first step towards achieving this. Thank you. Then Ben Bernardo from the Audience Data Platform looked at the work of his team. Hi. Uh, good day, everyone. My name is Ben. And... I'm the Scrum Master for Audience uh, Data, which is part of Platform. So before I go on topic, what it means to support the team, I need to plug what products and services my team provides for the organization. All PR is always a good PR. So we have a suite of products to support the organization, uh, powering audience-facing products like iPlayer, radio, uh, mobile, across the organization to build uh, the ability to have a personalized BBC. So that's pretty much what we are. So the first service that we provide is UAS, which is user activity service. So what we do there is that, you know, for, if you go to iPlayer, you pause, you click resume, that's us. Uh, we follow and all of those things, so that's what we do. There's an API for that. There's another one right there, uh, that's what we do. Uh, the next one is single customer view, so this is our big data uh, platform where it's a joint up view of all of our audiences. It's in petabyte scale, so we have accounts, we have Comscore, so we process on average 1.2 billion records a day, and every day. Or if, it's, uh, it's, if it, there's a big event happening, so we process actually 2 billion records. Um, the next one is, the next one coming is the GDPR, which is the SAR service. I hope everyone's aware that May 25th is coming. And then the next one is there's another service, it's our segmentation service. Again, this is all about how we segment people. Um, and then the next one is our accounting service. So this is a, another service that we provide for close to real time to know, you know how many people have looked at your page or you know, um, engage. And last one, one of my teams, we do research and measurement data. We take data from 10 agencies, Kantar, the MPG, we process 38 data sets. Those data sets are mostly research and measurement. So the PowerPoint presentation right there is an example. It's a very simple process that we do. Cool, now going back to the topic, supporting the team. So one of the things that we say that we have an equal say within the team, my team talks a lot. 
they really do talk a lot. We're honest, we trust each other, we don't hide stuff, especially when it involves the team, what, what happens to the team. And that's actually the first bullet point on the back of your ID. You could look at that in your ID. The second one, encourage. I don't know whether people here do the 10% time that, you, that the organization offers. It's really your time on how you innovate, motivate. It's, it's everything that you want to do for your, for your own self or for the team. And it's really, that's, a really good, that's a really good time for the team to actually give them space to do what they love to do best. Uh, the next one is to organize social events and interactions. My, actually, my team are asking, when are we going out next? One-to-ones, uh, they're really good to know how to get, you know, people are doing at work, but there's more to work than, there's more to life than work. Again, an impromptu, like, you know, got time to check, uh, to talk, to chat, it's, it's very valuable. It's, it's hard work, but it's really worth it. It really is worth it. And the last one is ask. What can I do to help, or how can I help? That's it, rather than what are you doing about it? And the last one is acknowledge our similarities, celebrate our differences. Thank you very much. And let's finish with an inspiring talk from Anna Smith about training refugees to code. My name's Anna. I'm a software engineer on the same team as um, Augustine over in Connections. I'm really pleased that he covered that topic because I've got the slightly easier task of speaking to you today about Code Your Future. You will have heard some of you, um, Bex, talking about the emergence of tech for good and some of the problems that that might be uh, facing, but also some of the obstacles that it might be trying to overcome in tech generally. Um, a subset of the emergence of tech for good has been the emergence of tech education for good initiatives. So you've seen lots of kind of coding courses or drop-in sessions um, arising and there's been an emergence of coding education specifically to address um, social problems or social issues. And Code Your Future is, is just one of those. We are a coding school for refugees and asylum seekers. We offer our coding education uh, completely free of charge over a six-month period. And we're currently based across three cities with a, with a view to extend out to a, a fourth at the end of the summer. We're based in London, Glasgow and Manchester, which are conveniently all cities where the BBC has a presence. <laughs> our main mission, as I said, is to make our coding education completely free, but also to remove additional obstacles that our, our learners might face. So that means addressing issues around connectivity, so many of our students might not have internet access readily available in their homes, so we provide them with internet where that's an issue, we provide them with laptops, um, and we work very closely with organisations that are already addressing a lot of the issues that are faced by the refugee community to make sure that we're meeting the needs of our learners in a way that we as software engineers might not understand or be equipped to do so. And the end goal is to support these people into developer jobs, um, which in turn solves a number of issues that are being faced by the tech um, industry in terms of the you know, diversity of the industry, but also there's a need for more developers and we're training developers who are more than equipped to fulfill those um, roles. Our approach, as I mentioned before, it's a six-month program broken down into modules. We have three or five volunteer mentors per module. 
It's project-driven, so at the end of the course, they'll create an app or a website that can be used by NGOs, and usually this will be serving uh, members of their own community. So where we, as software engineers, have maybe failed to address the needs of the refugee community, they're working together with developers to produce something that um, do doesn't yet exist and, and that serves their needs. Our learning approach is flexible, so they have one day a week contact time and the rest is done remotely through mentorship via Slack or in person if that's possible. We have the, poss the potential to cater for around 15 students per intake and in our last intake we had over 150 applications. So the demand and the desire is there and it's just about us scaling in a way that is sustainable without um, kind of compromising on the quality of what we're teaching them. And so next steps, as I said, we're growing. We're opening a new cohort in Birmingham at the end of the summer. But if you're interested in our Manchester cohort, we're expanding to meet the growing demand that we have and um, we hold regular drop-in sessions for potential volunteers or anybody that thinks that they might be able to get involved in any other way. Get involved if you can. Well, that's it from Develop 2018 here on 2LO Rebooted. You can see the full programme on Gateway, and as before, it's thoroughly recommended, even if you don't see yourself as part of the BBC's developer community. Thanks again to everyone who worked so hard to make it happen.